Hey, it's Josh. Before we get into the episode, I wanted to let you all know that the Vermont Public Spring Membership Drive has arrived. Donations from folks like you make everything we do here possible. If you want to help support our people-powered journalism, be sure to make a donation in any amount by March 16th by going to bravelittlestate.org donate. And as always, thank you for your support. Yeah, are you Taryn? Hi. Taryn Haas wants to buy a house. Specifically, she wants to buy this house on Johnson Street in Barrie. It's a two-bedroom, one-and-a-half bath. Um, It's a little worse for wear on the outside, but the inside's pretty nice, I think. It's white with green trim, built in 1911, in a quiet neighborhood on a hill above Main Street. I think it's a very nice house. We looked at some other ones in our price range. Almost all of them need work. Uh, This one needs a little less work than a lot of other places. We're standing outside, waiting for an inspector to show up for a routine property inspection. Taryn has this house under contract to buy it as is for about $90,000. That's quite affordable as far as Vermont prices go. But it's still a stretch for Taryn. She's 29 and she's got student debt, credit card debt. Almost my entire down payment is coming from my dad (laughs) Um, because there's no way I'd be able to save up enough. And I mean, I make a decent amount of money, so... Taryn works in insurance in the next town over, in Montpelier. And the reason she's trying to buy is that she and her partner aren't super psyched about renting. For one, they aren't able to save much. So we moved from Pittsburgh, and we were paying... A little less than a thousand um, for like a fully updated apartment. It had a dog park, a gym, like nice amenities. Um, and then we come up here and we're paying three hundred dollars more for a lot less. If she buys this house, Taryn figures the mortgage and taxes could actually be cheaper than their rent. Best scenario is that it's eight hundred fifty a month. Um, um, is that your inspector over there that it's, just pulled in? Um, that was my realtor. So um, we could see we'll a pop over. Yeah. Okay. Oh, and there's somebody else there too. Oh, hey! We walk over and say hi to Terrence Realtor and the inspector, a guy named Joby McDonald. The realtor unlocks the door, and we all step inside and take off our shoes, and the inspection begins. Welcome to Brave Little State, VPR's people-powered journalism project. I'm Angela Evansy. Here on the show, we answer questions about Vermont that have been submitted and voted on by you, our audience. This month's winner, Peter Curson of Norfolk, Virginia. Why is there such a housing crunch in Vermont? A question about Vermont's housing market and why it's so hard to get a piece of it. I've been hearing about it forever, so why isn't it getting better? Once again, you all have chosen a huge, complicated question. We're not going to get to everything, but we will survey the struggles and the potential fixes when it comes to housing pressures in Vermont. You know, the thing I'm hoping for above all is you're going to find somebody who says, yeah, these are the problems and here are the answers and these are the people working on it. We have support from the VPR Innovation Fund. Welcome. Thanks to Vita for their support of Brave Little State. Since 1974, Vita has helped Vermont businesses grow and thrive. From agriculture to energy, startups to family companies. Find solutions that fit your business. Visit VEDA.org to start your next chapter today. 
and Sunset Lake CBD, a farmer-owned business crafting CBD products right here in Vermont. Learn more about their sustainable farming practices, delivery options, and how to support local farmers at sunsetlakecbd.com. So is there a dishwasher? Taryn's inspection starts in the kitchen. Her inspector, Joby, tries to turn on the dishwasher. But the water supply doesn't seem to be working. So we'll see if we can determine why there's no water. Um, While he pokes around, we're going to meet our question asker, Peter Curson. He's a house hunter like Taryn, but not as far along in the process. My colleague Henry Epp has his story. As we said before, Peter lives in Virginia, but he grew up in Middlesex, Vermont. I pretty much moved away after high school, and I'm looking to move back with my family. And so we're, you know, we're in that housing market now. We're starting to look, and it's challenging. Peter is 36 years old. He and his wife have two toddlers. In many ways, they're the exact kind of people who state leaders like Governor Phil Scott want to attract to Vermont as the state's population ages and stagnates. They're hoping to move here this summer, so they've started looking for a house. Here's what Peter says he's been finding so far. Houses go on the market, and then they're gone within a week, and then there's a lot of really old properties that are subpar in a lot of ways, and that those are going on the market and getting snatched up anyway. Peter says he and his wife want to live somewhere on the I-89 corridor. Norwich, Montpelier, Waterbury. Their budget is a good bit higher than Taryn's. They can go up into the $300,000 range. But like Taryn, Peter says most of what they're finding is pretty old, from the 1800s and early 1900s. And a lot of it is not in great shape. Part of me, I love those older houses, and I'm excited about, like, hey, we've got this piece of Vermont history. And on the other hand, I'm like, hey... You can't heat that piece of Vermont history. Most of the stuff that we're talking about so far is exactly what I would expect to see in a house built in the early 1900s. Back at Taryn's inspection, she's trying to gauge how much history she'll be dealing with if she goes through with this sale. Little cracks like this in the foundation do not overly concern me. The inspector, Joby, has pointed out some antiquated or otherwise questionable electrical wiring, some aging plumbing, some signs of water damage. Uh, we can see that there is some still what my grandfather called snakeskin or, uh, you know, the original cloth skin Romex. Taryn seems to be getting a little nervous. So just for some perspective, this is my first home. Yeah. And I own a power drill and I've used it twice. <laughs> so <laughs> while I feel like I want to be very industrious, I'm not it. sure <laughs> no, how that will pan out. <laughs> it's not like this will be an impulse buy for Taryn. She's done her research and compared prices. She really, really wants to take this step, but it doesn't seem like she's on solid ground. This, of course, has everything to do with Peter's question about the limited options that buyers feel like they have in this state. Here's Henry again. To answer Peter's question, we first need to answer a different question. Is there actually a housing crunch in Vermont? To try to figure that out, we spoke with Michael Moser. My name is Michael Moser, and I am the coordinator for the Vermont State Data Center. Moser's been on Brave Little State before. He mostly works with data from the U.S. Census Bureau to get a detailed picture of the people and the economy of Vermont. Okay. 
there's that. So I brought you, you can have two sets. Oh, great. Want. Yeah. When we reached out to him for this episode, he very kindly compiled some recent data about Vermont's housing market. The numbers come from two different census surveys, spanning from 2006 to 2017. So does Moser think Vermont has a housing crunch? Inconclusive. <laughs> I take that back. I, I think that in some parts of the state, there are greater housing pressures than in other parts of the state. Well, let's break that down a bit. First, between the two surveys, the number of housing units in Vermont went up. Yeah, 3.7% increase in the total number of housing units uh, between those two time periods. So more housing. Judging by just that number, there's not much of a crunch. But of course, there's more to the story. 26.7% of our housing stock is 80 years of age or older. So a quarter of Vermont's housing is old. That's more than double the national average. Our question asker Peter's observation is pretty spot on. Another measure, the vacancy rate. Most vacant houses in Vermont are seasonal and recreational homes, and the vacancy rate is pretty uneven across the state. For example, nearly 47% of homes are vacant in Essex County, in the very northeast of the Northeast Kingdom, but just 5% are empty in Chittenden County. And this gets to Moser's main point. You're going to feel more of a, a housing pressure in a place like Chittenden County than you are in a place like Essex County. And because so many more of us live in Chittenden County, we may perceive that there is this housing challenge across the state of Vermont. Case in point, when we put out a call for stories of people looking for houses and apartments in Vermont, we heard from someone who was having a really positive experience in Rutland County. So maybe this state doesn't have a housing crunch across the board. But talk to housing experts in Vermont and you'll get a different answer. I do think that we have a housing crisis in the state. And so I think that we need all hands on deck. That's Maura Collins. She's the head of the Vermont Housing Finance Agency. We finance and promote affordable housing for low and moderate income Vermonters. Collins says the so-called housing crunch comes down to one central issue, affordability. There is a joke that all the housing in Vermont is affordable if you were someone who was super rich. Collins says the real crunch is around housing for those who aren't in that upper echelon. Why isn't housing affordable for more of us who earn moderate, sometimes even good incomes, and we still can't buy a home and afford our home. One reason for that, Collins says, household incomes in Vermont have been pretty much stagnant for years. They're not moving up as fast or as high as housing prices have. Collins says the rule of thumb in the housing world is if you're paying more than 30 percent of your monthly income on housing costs, your housing is considered unaffordable. You're what's called cost burdened. According to census data compiled by VHFA, 36 percent of all Vermonters are cost burdened. And when you break that down a bit, 30 percent of homeowners and 51 percent of renters are burdened by housing costs. So how can Vermont change that? by building more housing that would be affordable to more people. Building more housing. We'll hear more about some of the tensions around that issue later in the episode. Collins says new construction is especially needed in some parts of the state. The White River Junction area, Montpelier, Chittenden County. 
But there are also many communities, such as in Rutland and Springfield and a lot of the Northeast Kingdom, where the quality of the housing means that it's not fully on the market and we need to rehabilitate those homes to bring them up to energy efficiency standards and other things to make them be homes that people can really afford to live in and not pay too much for the utilities. And there's another divide. In some areas, the need is new construction. In others, it's rehabilitation. But wherever you are in the state, there is still plenty of demand for decent housing. That demand plays out in different ways. In Burlington, Vermont's Queen City, it puts big pressure on the rental market. Marilyn Taglavia knows something about that. Hi. Are you Marilyn? Yeah, Henry. Henry. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Marilyn and her boyfriend live in the city's old north end on the second floor of a duplex. It was built in 1900, according to city records. It's a nice two-bedroom place, but it has its quirks. When we first moved in here, the pipes broke under the kitchen, and um, all the water rushed under the stove. Because it's sort of slanted down. These kinds of oddities Uh, might be familiar to anyone who's rented in one of Burlington's many older properties. And the kitchen's not the only room in Marilyn's apartment with some less-than-ideal qualities. The bathroom is really small, and the bedroom has a slant of its own. I kind of got used to sleeping on a slant here. (laughs) But it's angled Um, down toward your feet. Yes, um, which is interesting. I mean, it's not the biggest deal ever. But Not long after they moved in, Marilyn and her boyfriend knew they wanted to find a better place. So in order to land a new apartment for this coming June, a co-worker of hers recommended they start looking in October. I understand planning in advance, but... The prior year planning is seems a little bit excessive. But their early start paid off. They found their new place just a block away. We yeah, walked over I to mean, see the building. This this apartment is like a dream for us. There's rooftop access and there's even an elevator inside. And The gray, boxy um, structure was built in 2015. System, there's parking, better heat, flat floors, all things that Marilyn likes. Now. But it does come at a steeper so. price. Do you mind saying how much it how much it is a month? Yeah, um, I think it's fourteen seventy a month, and right now we're paying thirteen thirty. But totally worth it, she says. Just to note, the median rent in Vermont, according to the latest U.S. Census survey, is nine hundred forty-five dollars a month. Burlington's expensive and desirable, according to Sandy Wynn. She's been a realtor in the area since the early 80s. On a snowy February day, she takes me on a sort of real estate tour of the city. Actually, I'm going to continue down here just a bit. And something you should know about Sandy Wynn, she is a major booster of Burlington. Not in any official capacity, but she loves the place. She has something positive to say about pretty much every corner of the city. You know, this is another unique part of Burlington. We're on Riverside Avenue above the Intervale area. We have a wood-burning chip plan. We have a farm. You're in a city. Who does that? Burlington. As we drive, Sandy can't really help but slip into realtor mode. A little ways down Riverside, we turn into a winding drive up to a newer condo development. Have you been up here? No. Just for the record. No pressure, but there's a... Market rent unit for sale here for 150000 
At this point in our morning together, Sandy has asked all the right questions to know that I'm a renter. I'm in my late 20s, likely to stay in Vermont for the foreseeable future. Here we go. 155, one bedroom, one bath. Taxes are 3,000. Monthly association fee is 283. That's relatively affordable. If you are a young professional and you want to be close to the university, the hospital, I mean. But is that pretty, I mean, at this point, how common is it to find something like that? On a regular basis, one or two come up, but you just don't get a lot. For the record, I did not buy that condo. But as of this recording, a sale is pending, according to its online listing. Some important context here. Vermont isn't the only place with a tight housing market. It is across, actually, the United States at this point. This is Debbie Jensen. She's president of the Vermont Association of Realtors. And I currently work for EXP Realty. We called Jensen up to try to figure out what's unique about Vermont's crunch. We don't have a lot of inventory below the $300,000 price range for first-time homebuyers or people that are downsizing from very large homes. You know, so when something comes on the market in that $250,000 price range, they're gone within days, if not hours. So that's the housing crunch that we're looking at in Chittenden, Franklin, parts of Washington County. And I can give you, I actually checked um, some statistics this morning. We talked to Jensen um, on February 25th. Whoops, sorry. She said in the seven days prior, the there'd been 64 days, new listings in those three counties. And those are residential, multifamily, condos, and it includes land also. And the median price was $349,000. Oh, wow. So, yeah, on the higher end. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I can't tell you that there's a lot of millennials that can afford that type of price range. Hashtag Taryn. She's the buyer we met earlier with a budget of about 90 k Jensen explained the way that higher prices can have a ripple effect through the market. Take seniors, a demographic that's growing in Vermont. They are looking to downsize. Their concern is first floor master bedroom, one level, you know, less yard work, if any yard work. But the problem is, is that when you're selling your big four-bedroom, three-bath house to downsize, you don't want to take your proceeds and buy a $450,000 two-bedroom condo. And that's essentially what's happening. Jensen says she is seeing these prices for condos in Chittenden and Franklin counties. And she says that's leading more seniors to stay put rather than sell their larger homes to, say, young families. Meanwhile, young people who have started out in a condo, it's hard for them to upgrade. So they're not selling either. That's the dichotomy here is that we don't have that step from the $120,000 condo to the $250,000 or $275,000 three-bedroom house. So that's the crunch. So people are staying and they're kind of making do. They're going to stay in their condos. They're going to stay in their big houses until the market provides that for them. And that leaves buyers like Taryn with very few options. So they found some things where I was like, okay, if I have to replace that, it's not a deal breaker for me. I checked in with Taryn a few days after her house inspection for that really old house in Barrie. 
I hadn't been able to stay for the whole thing, so she told me how it wrapped up. She said things were looking pretty promising. And I was like, awesome, I'm totally buying this house, no worries. Um, And then we got to the outside. The inspector, Joby, used a drone to check out the roof. One side looked good. And then he takes the drone to the other side of the house, and he's like, well, hang on. The other half of the roof was shot. Joby said Taryn would be lucky to get a year out of it. So that's the bad news. The good news is that Taryn was able to negotiate $10,000 off the sale price. I'm just going to have to figure out how to get a renovation loan on top of my normal <laughs> There's this mix of excitement and also trepidation because it's just like, what am, what am I doing? Like, what am I getting myself into? I've never owned a house before. Um, and now I'm getting one where I have to replace a roof. Like, this is crazy. Taryn's closing is later this month. So why hasn't the market provided those mid-range properties that buyers like Taryn or our question asker Peter are after? You know, there's a lot of different reasons for why. Eric Hookstra is the managing partner at Redstone, a commercial real estate company in Burlington. Coincidentally, Redstone built the apartment complex that Marilyn Taglavia, the renter we met earlier, is moving into in June. Part of it is that the fundamental cost of producing housing in Vermont is relatively high. Hookstra says there are several things driving up our prices. One, Vermont is in a cold climate. And so we have to do things in terms of insulation, heating systems, things that go above and beyond what's required in many other climate areas. Two, it's expensive to get building materials here. We're kind of the end of the line for the supply chain. And three, we've got a labor shortage in the construction industry, like many other places. And then there's permitting. So a lot of people will talk about the regulatory environment in Vermont, our, our permitting system, Act 250 and local zoning ordinances and things like that. Hookster says this part of the process doesn't necessarily skyrocket costs, but it can be time-consuming and add a lot of risk. We have a more complex, more cumbersome, frankly, uh, regulatory system for building in Vermont than most other places in the country. I think the only other places that may be a little more difficult than Vermont to build are like California and Hawaii. So that doesn't help. Sometimes people think... um, you know, oh, this this development stuff, you know, all all you have to do is find a property and, and, and the money and do it. Well, it's not that easy, you know. Uh, you have to, as a developer, it's almost like being like the conductor of the orchestra. You know, there's like the string section is a bunch of lawyers and the percussion section is the builders. You know, you're orchestrating all this stuff with uh, architects and engineers and contractors and regulatory authorities, and you're facilitating putting all of that stuff together. And all of that stuff takes just a tremendous amount of time and, and effort. A symphony, so to speak, that results in pricey housing. Eric Hookstra says Redstone projects cost about $250,000 per apartment. And in the for-profit world, in the absence of things like subsidies, those costs inevitably get passed on to customers. 
it's impossible to produce that quarter million dollar apartment and be able to offer it to someone at a reasonably affordable rental rate. And the same holds true for producing that kind of thing for sale, you know, a, a condominium or a townhouse or a home. Now, Hookstra mentioned Act 250. If you're not familiar, it's Vermont's land use and development law that reviews projects over a certain size. And if critics say it slows development, proponents say it slows development. Yeah, we don't get a lot of speculative housing built. Amy Sheldon represents Middlebury in the Vermont House. She chaired the Commission on Act 250, which recently put out a big report on the law. I asked her if Act 250 has been a barrier to constructing the kind of housing that might address Vermont's crunch. Here's what she said. I mean, Act 250 was is in place to review larger developments. So in that regard, perhaps it's been noted that in Vermont, we've had a slower real estate market that is in many cases insulated from the booms and busts of other states' real estate markets. So yes, but Sheldon sees that as a positive. Some people say that those that that's Act 250 kind of tempers our market. And when it comes to affordable housing, Sheldon says Act 250 has actually bolstered certain types of projects. So I would say one of the biggest outgrowths from Act 250 was the creation of the Vermont Housing Conservation Trust Fund, where we are and we have been investing for over 30 years pretty intensely in the creation of affordable housing. And I would challenge some of the folks who focus so heavily on Act 250 as a cause of the lack of affordable housing to look to other places. Sheldon offers her own theory, the second home phenomenon. She says she's noticed it in her own community in East Middlebury. You're seeing an increase in homes that are empty a lot of the year, their second homes. So we have a, these outside pressures that I don't necessarily think we've accounted for, uh, at least not recently. According to the latest census, 15.6% of Vermont's homes are for, quote, seasonal, recreational, or occasional use. Then you've got the Airbnb phenomenon, with houses being used for short-term rentals. But back to Act 250. When they wrote their big report, Amy Sheldon's commission made a bunch of recommendations for the law moving forward. The big focus is actually on mitigating the effects of climate change, but there's also a move to funnel more development into downtowns. We are looking at an enhanced designation process for our downtown areas, for our designated centers. That kind of complicated, but the idea would be to encourage higher density building while protecting working landscapes and natural resources. So density is actually a word that Henry and I heard a lot while working on this episode. It's something many state housing experts point to as a solution, if not the solution, to Vermont's housing woes. There's discussions uh, happening around using our existing uh, centers, our designated downtowns and, and growth centers and village centers. Josh Hanford is the state's acting commissioner of housing and community development. And trying to have some more exemptions or some um, by right development in those areas. We want people to live closer to where they work and where they shop. In Chittenden County, denser private development has started to ramp up, responding to that pent-up demand for rental housing we heard about earlier. And back in 2016, a bunch of regional planners and advocates and developers and government leaders all signed on to a five-year goal. Build 3,500 new housing units in the county. 700 of them should be designated as affordable. The fact that we all agree on the problem 
means I think it's simpler to get to the solution. That's Chris Donnelly with the Champlain Housing Trust, which manages and advocates for affordable housing. He says overall, that big Chittenden County goal is on track so far. But we're falling short in the affordable goals. So a bit of a mixed bag. But it's not the only recent big effort to build more affordable housing in Vermont. In 2017, the state set up a $37 million bond aimed at building another 600 new affordable housing units. It's just scratching the surface, so that bond is almost all spent. Donnelly argues that much more is needed and that the state has been routinely under-investing in housing for years. But at this very moment, there's an effort in the legislature to issue another big housing bond, though it's not clear whether that will move forward. Testing. Okay. I think that'll work. Okay. Meanwhile, in White River Junction, there's a new high-density project in the works. Um, This is the site of Wentworth Community Housing, which will be 30 units of uh, multifamily housing, a mixture of one and two bedroom units. Andrew Winter is the executive director of Twin Pines Housing, a nonprofit developer of affordable housing here in the Upper Valley. It's a snowy morning, and he's showing me around the job site. We'll go in that way first. This is a four-story building with a modernist look. And as soon as you step into one of the units, you notice how warm it is. It's very well insulated, and a lot of time and effort has been spent in ensuring that we minimize the energy loss in the building. These units will be very energy efficient, which Winter says will result in lower costs for tenants. Everything that we're doing now throughout our portfolio is focused on sustainability, both environmental sustainability as well as financial stability for the the residents, uh, sustainability for the residents. And these units are going to be more affordable for more kinds of renters, namely renters who wouldn't normally be eligible for housing like this. What's a little bit different about this project than some of our other projects elsewhere in the region is that um, of the 30 units, uh, nine of those units will be higher income units. So we'll be able to house a family of four making as much as uh, $88,000, $89,000 a year. And, and that so is because of the way this project was financed. Twin Pines Housing tapped into funds from that affordable housing bond that Henry mentioned earlier. Winter says that'll allow them to serve some middle-income renters who are still priced out of the Upper Valley market. The rental vacancy rate here is low. As of last fall, it was less than 2%. It is really, really hard to find housing in the Upper Valley. Twin Pines Housing is working to address this. And when you learn about their work and the ambitious goals for Chittenden County and the effort the state has made to support affordable housing, you can't really say that people aren't trying. But is it enough? Take the Upper Valley. Twin Pines has 122 units currently in development. But Andrew Winter says there's way more demand than that. As a general matter, we see a deficit of uh, literally thousands of units in the Upper Valley. So given all this, it's easy to see why higher density development is such an appealing solution. And it sounds great in theory, but in practice, it can be a tough sell. Vermont is not a very dense state, and uh, when we encourage density, it gets a lot of people nervous real quickly. Here's Maura Collins again. If you live close to that village center or downtown, things may look different in the future, and change is hard for all of us. 
There's still a lot of neighborhood opposition to housing development. They want more affordable housing, but not necessarily if they have to look at it or experience it. We've done some research looking at Vermonters' preferences for where they'd want to live. Michael Moser, the state data expert we heard from at the beginning of the episode, says even if density is what housing leaders want... Most people that are in Vermont want to have that rural part of Vermont. You have fewer people that want to live in condo complexes in the state of Vermont and more people that want to live out near a mountain or with a a nice large backyard. And those are conflicting things that need to be taken into account. As for our question asker, Peter Curson, he and his wife are kind of looking for the best of both worlds. So we don't want to be too far out. We like, obviously, the idea of having some land or space, but the priority would be on, you know, some connection with the local town. So we probably wouldn't be in downtown Burlington or Montpelier, but close, you know, accessible. Thanks so much for listening to the show this month. Henry Epp reported this episode with me. If you have a question about Vermont you want us to answer, ask it at our website, bravelittlestate.org. While you're there, you can vote on the question you want us to tackle next. Brave Little State is a production of Vermont Public Radio. We have support from the VPR Innovation Fund and from VPR members. If you like this show, consider becoming one at bravelittlestate.org donate. Our editor is Lynn McRae, and our theme music is by Ty Gibbons. Other music in this episode by Poddington Bear and Benjamin Britton. We have engineering support from Chris Albertine and digital support from Meg Malone. Special thanks this month to Walter Parker and everyone in the Vermont subreddit who shared their story about looking for an apartment or a house here. I'm Angela Evansy. We'll be back next month with a question about climate change in Vermont. Until then, remember, be brave, ask questions. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.